0: What's going on, guys? It's your boy, Nick to be here live from the MMB Radio Studios for the MMB Radio Podcast, where no topic is too big or too small. We'll talk about them all. And on the phone lines right now, I have a gentleman who I was supposed to be talking to at WrestleCon in Tampa, Florida, with nice weather, you know, palm trees, and, you know, all the greatness that comes with WrestleMania week. But then this, uh, you know, this COVID thing started. <laughs> and it kind of just, you know, threw a whole swerve for the whole plans but i promised you guys that i would still get him on i want to welcome him in now mr bam bam bundy what's going on
1: my boy mix master b what is going on brother
0: you tell me man i mean it is craziness first off i want to say you know thank you for taking the time to uh call in and talk to us under these circumstances i know a lot of people It's a lot of uncertainty and You know, for anybody that's listening to the podcast, you know, just like everybody's trying to do right now. We're trying to bring some kind of entertainment and some kind of uh, calm to a lot of people's anxieties out there with this coronavirus situation. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you, uh, you know, still being on board with this, even though we're not, you know, sitting poolside somewhere with, you know, palm trees and, you know, margaritas in our hands
1: man i know and that's what i really wanted man uh tampa florida was a a huge goal of mine i was down in orlando a couple years ago for wrestlemania that's where i did my first wrestlecon and uh i'm like you man i'm disappointed here in uh memphis we call it dorona uh just because it's dorona and everything uh it's it's crazy man uh everything from shows have gotten canceled, uh, even live appearances. I mean, here in Memphis, we're on lockdown and can't even have, you know, even wedding, uh, wedding gatherings of more than 10 people. They, uh, a buddy of mine uh, had to go to a funeral where they had to watch the funeral from their cars because it's so crazy.
0: That's crazy. There's so many stories that you're hearing from different people uh, in regards to what they're doing in their area as opposed to other areas of the country. And, It's it's kind of like that that murky kind of like cloudy situation because what you may be experiencing there in Memphis we're not experiencing here in the Philadelphia area you know clearly epicenters like New York City and Chicago and L A are you know dealing with different um, situations and then you got some parts of the country that are kind of like it's kind of somewhat normal of a day for them Um, but let me ask you like how are you holding up as far as like uh, mentally because a lot of people out there having they said anxiety and depression and all that stuff. But how are you holding up mentally right now?
1: Well, as far as my mentality, man, it's no different than it is from day to day. Uh, and I know that's a, a very great answer to give, but that's, that's the honest truth. Um, I, I'm fortunate enough that it's my what we call my shoot job. My real job is actually for the Wyndham Hotel Corporations and. Besides the actual part of Memphis, everything around these small towns are still up and running like nothing's going on. And uh, it just uh, – I haven't been homebound yet. Uh, Now they're talking about it coming, so it probably could make it a lot worse, the anxiety and the the claustrophobia of just being at home and everything else like that. But as far as right now, I'm fine. I mean, my my day-to-day normal stuff hasn't changed.
0: And Memphis is such an awesome city um, I was just there this past summer um, my father is a huge Elvis fan we ended up doing the whole Elvis week thing there in Memphis last year so Memphis is just a is a very chill city and um but not a very big city either um I feel like everything is just kind of you know close knit around there um what is some of the uh i mean has uh, attractions and everything there have closed or is it kind of like ghost townish
1: yeah I mean it, it's kind of ghost townish I mean bill street which is the most famous for memphis you know mm-hmm. um it's usually blocked off to traffic you know it's it's full of people tens of thousands of people down there every weekend and people can actually drive through that right now that's how dead the wow. downtown is
0: yeah because when i was there um, you couldn't drive you couldn't i mean they have like you said they have the barricade you kind of like it's kind of like uh you know, like Bourbon Street is, I guess, to New Orleans. You know, you, you can only get to a certain point, and then, you know, you, you can't drive through. So traffic is actually being able to go through there now.
1: Exactly. You know, and I'm very familiar with New, New Orleans as well. My mother actually lives in Gulfport, Mississippi. Okay. And I get to I get to go over to New Orleans about an hour and a half from her house every time I'm down there. And I've seen the eerie pictures that people have taken, you know, of, of Canal Street, Bourbon Street, Royal Street, and everything like that. It's just dead. You know, know, places that I couldn't even walk without bumping into somebody's shoulders. You know, you can have the whole street to yourself like that scene from the Joker movie.
0: Yeah, seriously, you know, you just start seeing the coronavirus, a.k.a. Bean, walking around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you said you have a regular shoot job and everything, but how how much do you rely on doing these independent shows and signings? Like how much of an economical...
1: Uh, oh, It's, it's half, half my income.
0: That? It's half the income.
1: It's, okay, it's half my income. Um, I, don't get me wrong, Wyndham pays me pretty nice, but I make a lot more in wrestling.
0: Okay,
1: and from my from gimmick sales, not being able to be around the crowd or not being able to wrestle, it's really hit me really hard. Um, like I said, I'm fortunate enough that uh, I've I've made my life to where I live very minimal, anyways. And because you never know what's going to happen in professional wrestling. You never know when you're going to take a wrong bump and you're going to be out of it for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So I've always lived very minimal off of what I've made from my shoot jobs and stuff like that. So I'm not out of a house yet, but I don't get to go do all the fun things I used to do. I don't get to, you know, go to movies or anything like that just because I don't have the extra income.
0: Yeah. And it, and it's, it's funny that you say that you make more doing wrestling than you do working at Wyndham because a lot of people are not that fortunate you know there are I mean when you hear of indie wrestling and you know there are the uh, the indie wrestling darlings of the world and the fan base that supports indie wrestling and you know shout out to that fan base that actually you know supports that that form of wrestling but not everybody is you know able to make a decent living just doing that you know a lot of people almost are in the opposite even before coronavirus where they're almost paying to be there you know um so it's really saying something of how hard this virus is starting to attack uh people financially um but like what other do you have any other friends that you work with that are in in the scene that are you know feeling it a lot worse than others right now what is like have they reached out to you with you know concerns
1: um not really, man. I mean, of course, my, my normal my normal rosters that I work with, with USA Championship Wrestling. Now, I will say the promoter I work for, Bert Prentice, who's a legendary promoter and a legendary manager, uh, it's really been a real struggle on him because this is all he does. Running, running wrestling shows, advertising wrestling shows, and everything like that is all this man does and knows and has since he was six years old when he was selling programs for Vern Gagne. He, he just turned 60 yesterday. So that that tells you how long the man's been in the business and what he relies on. And, and uh okay. It, it well, you know, it, it's to the point that I mean all of us on the roster that do have few jobs, you know, if if one of my brothers need help, I'll help him out as much as I can, you know, that where it doesn't put me in a hole, you know. I can't I can't help somebody if I'm in a hole as well. But if I'm not in my hole, I'll go ahead and help as much as I can
0: Now, have you spoken to promoters where like I mean you may not be able to answer this question But you know a lot of small businesses Are truly being affected right now I guess you know Would a pro wrestling promotion Be considered a small business And does anybody know if that would fall Under any kind of like a a Stimulus package where they would be receiving Some kind of financial aid or
1: Well that honestly depends um, Now see I'm in a different situation um, I was taught Early, my, my father was a lawyer, so this, that's where a lot of my knowledge on this comes. Bam Bam Bundy is not only a person, but it is also a company in itself. Mm-hmm. The The name of the company is Bam Bam Bundy LLC. You know, I went and got everything trademarked, licensed, everything that I need to do to become a business. So I could get those tax breaks every year and stuff like that. Uh, now, I will be filing to, as part of the small business that's been affected. Um, I think it really just truly depends on if you're a, a promoter that does it by the law or if you're a promoter that does it by the outlaw. And what I mean by that is, are you a promoter that has full-blown insurance, your LLCs, you know, uh, a, a taxable crew, you pay your taxes every quarter, you know, you, you know your books, you know everything like that, or are you just a, an outlaw promoter that goes out and runs a show in a town and that money you get that night is what you live on until you run another show the next week? Mm-hmm. Now, if you're an outlaw promoter, I don't see you getting that stimulus package. Yeah. But if you're a legit promoter, paying taxes and paying on talent and everything like that, I shouldn't say legit promoter. If you're a a legal promoter, um, that that would probably get you the stimulus package. But if you're more of an outlaw type promoter, or you know somebody that just hasn't gotten all that paperwork yet then you're probably going to have to bite the bullet on this and just lose the money over this, over this month, month and a half.
0: Yeah. Hopefully. And, and hopefully that's as long as it'll be about a month, month and a half. Um, you know, till we, you know, the president is hoping to see something by Easter, you know, it's wishful thinking. I just don't, you know, don't see that happening. Um, I'm, you know, try to be optimistic, but I, I definitely understand what you're saying because being a, uh, a DJ, you know, I do the podcasting and podcasting is, uh, it's it's a job slash hobby at this point where, you know, but I also do, you know, DJ work and uh, I can definitely see, you know, some people don't have an LLC. I know other DJs that, you know, in, in your sense, would be considered an outlaw DJ where, you know, they don't have insurance. They don't have an LLC. They just DJ a party or whatever. And, you know, they get a check and they never, you know, they never claim it on taxes or never, you know, um, so that, that it'd be interesting to see. The the fallout from all this once, hopefully all this passes through. But right,
1: um, and you know, and here in Tennessee, the uh, the governor actually just closed all the schools until April twenty fourth, Okay. or so recommended that they all be closed. And we've had and schools closed
0: I, for almost uh, you know three four weeks now here. So as I said, is it's very weird about how different uh, states are you know handling it. And I guess you're gonna know, have to handle it different situations based on the. The severity of it. Yeah. But let's, you know, let's move forward with something a little bit more positive because we could sit here and talk about coronavirus. And I'm sure people are sick and tired of watching the news and hearing about it. And my father was even saying the other day he's, uh, he's an avid Dr. Phil fan. He is uh, furious right now that he can't watch Dr. Phil because every time he gets to put Dr. Phil on in the afternoon, they're breaking in with, you know, a COVID-19 update for the city of philadelphia so um let's talk about your wrestling career so for people who are listening to this for the first time or you know being introduced to you for the first time we obviously knew that you're you know from tennessee but when did you fall in love with pro wrestling
1: six years old
0: six years old and at what six point at what point did you decide that that's something that you want to do for, you know, considered a living. And at what point did you realize that that's something you actually can do for
1: a living? Well, I, I tell everybody this, and me and you have never had a conversation before today. Mm-hmm. And so that you might find this pretty cool. Um, my story's real weird to where my godfather is a man by the name of Eddie Bond. And back in the seventies, Eddie Bond ran a radio station. Well, with that radio station, he gave this kid a job. And part of that job was to be a late night DJ and also draw advertising for Eddie Bond's partner. Eddie Bond's partner was named Jackie Fargo. Wow. Jackie Fargo trained a little kid by the name of Jerry King Lawler. Wow. When I was ready to become a wrestler, I had mentioned it to my godfather and he said, well, you know what? I know Jerry. Uh, Let me see if maybe we can work something out. And Jerry went, I I don't know how that portion of it went, but somehow I wound up with Brian Christopher. Brian Christopher and Kevin White took a really green, big 18-year-old and turned him into a wrestler. (laughs) Taught me everything I know about the business. I was fortunate enough that Brian Christopher was not just my trainer. Brian Brian became my best friend uh, to the point we lived together with each other. We traveled everywhere. Um, He introduced me to Rikishi, who's been a godsend to me through my career. Um, He introduced me to Big Daddy V before Big Daddy V died. He helped me a lot on my big man wrestling. Uh, Of course, the Lawlers, uh, his brother Kevin, uh, Dangerous Doug Gilbert, Jimmy Valiant. I was real fortunate enough to have all these guys. Bill Dundee, which is a guy that a lot of people don't give credit to. Um, I, I've been real fortunate enough to grow up through the Memphis guys, the people that I watched on TV every Saturday morning, and then to be able to step into the ring and wrestle those guys twenty years later.
0: That's awesome. And then I and then with Brian, I got to meet him for the first time about a year before his passing. And being a huge wrestling fan myself, um, collecting so many different things, I had an old copy of a WWE magazine where it was him and Rikishi on the cover, and he signed it. And I, I tell you, I, I the guy was the, the nicest, sweetest person that you could ever meet. You know, he was so, like, thrilled that I, one, had this magazine. He's like, I got to take a picture of this, brother. He goes, this is awesome. You know, the fact that I held on to something that had his, you know, too cool likeness on it, and uh, it, it's very – very sad and tragic of his passing because I think a lot of people and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, I think a lot of people didn't really know who he was truly as a person. I think people read reports heard stories you know about other you know demons for lack of better wording that he may have had um, and just thought that you know the guy was just this reckless guy that just did not care um, but I, I had nothing but you know amazing things to say about the one and only time that I got to meet him and uh it's just it's very it's uh very unfortunate that he had to uh pass at such a young age but fortunately for you that you got to know him, you know live with him, almost be family to him and uh the Memphis territories um but let me ask too growing up in Memphis, like six years old, falling in love and wrestling. When you fell in love of wrestling, what what brand of wrestling were you falling in love with? Because Memphis is a hotbed for, you know, like the the Memphis wrestling scene. Were you watching a lot of that stuff or were you watching like the WCW and the WWF and the E stuff that everybody else comes to know?
1: I, I was watching I was watching Memphis, man. Uh, Randy Hales, who is the owner of Power Pro Wrestling, put on a fantastic product. Um you know, I woke up every morning with Dave Brown and, or every Saturday morning with Dave Brown and Corey Macklin. And uh, it was the, the characters that really got me in Memphis that WWF and WCW were cool, but they only came around once a year. Mm-hmm. Memphis was there every week. I could go to my local grocery store and see these guys. I could talk to these guys like they were friends, you know, when they were to me were the biggest superstars in the world. Um, I didn't know a difference between independent and professional wrestling. If you were a wrestler, you were a wrestler, and that was awesome to me. Um, now I, I did start trickling in when Brian in '99 went to WWE. Um, I started kind of trickling into that because Brian was my favorite wrestler. He was the the number one heel, the number one babyface as I was growing up in Memphis. Um, it wasn't until kind of like the the end of the attitude era kind of that i missed out my parents weren't going to let me watch all that blood guts gore and sex (laughs) at six years old (laughs) so uh i got i I transitioned more over to the wcw stylings um and then I, i really got hooked into it when you know we hit the ruthless aggression era you know with cena and angle and brock and stuff like that
0: Now, who were some of, obviously, growing up in Memphis and, you know, Memphis Championship Wrestling and Continental Wrestling, and there's so many different little promotions that were around. Um, Who other, I mean, obviously, you you worked with the Lawlers, and you said Big Daddy V, but who were, at six years old, who was someone that you saw on television that you connected to and said, that's that's who I, I, I relate to?
1: Some of your people may know this guy, but this guy by the name of Derek King, he was Mr. Personality, uh, and, and I'm good friends with Derek now, but he really caught me. The man would just go over the moon with everything he would do. Um, he was our, our black Shawn Michaels, and I know somebody's going to say that was racist the way I said it, but it was. If you've ever met Derek, you'll, you'll know exactly what I mean when I say that. <laughs> um, that was the, the character that got me. I wanted to be like him because everybody's eyes went to him. It didn't matter what he was doing, heel or baby face. All eyes were on him at the time.
0: Now, how did you uh, come up with the name Bam Bam Bundy? I did not. Okay. So someone else uh, Um, coined that for you.
1: Brian did.
0: Okay. Um, When Brian
1: started training me, I was six foot three and almost 500 pounds. Now I am six foot three and I am three hundred and fifty pounds.
0: Okay. Yeah, you know I me.
1: Mean? <laughs> um, Bam Bam. A lot of people go immediately to Bam Bam Bigelow, and it's not actually. I have a brute style of fighting, and it reminded him of Bam Bam Gordy. Mm-hmm. And then I was bald also, so he was like, "Oh, we were, as a joke, we're just gonna call you Bam Bam Bundy." Like that was just a, a running joke, is what it started out being and then one night uh somebody didn't show up at a local promotion in Mississippi
0: and Brian
1: was like hey I'm going to need you to do something I was like okay fine we'll do it and they stuck a microphone in my mouth for the first time ever and they're like well, what's your name kid uh uh Batman Bundy and it stuck <laughs> now how I mean so from-
0: going to be having that situation was just thrown at you and you know handing you a mic and saying go out there and, and shoot a promo. Had you had prior experience training? Like a lot of people here at a performance center in WWE, and they train every aspect of it from mic skills to in-ring skills to being able to know where cameras are. How much of that training do you get when you're in Memphis or, you know, in the territories?
1: Man, here a lot. Uh, I've been very fortunate. Like I said, I, got, I get to work for Bert Frenis who has a weekly television show out of uh, jackson tennessee and i get my my tv training through that um with brian i trained for a year and a half before i was able to do anything that was learning the bumps learning how to cut a promo why i don't say certain things in a promo um body language ring awareness all of that nature so for a guy like me that stays regularly booked for these high profile promotions it's easier for me um if you're what Cornette calls an outlaw talent, which I just love his definition of that. Uh you don't get a lot of it though. Um there's only so many slots on any roster, obviously. And with USA we're we're filled to the gill. We are the best, the absolute best in the area. With T V, with talent, with people that come in. I mean WWE helps us through Lawler. we got it all right there. Bert Prentice Runs his own version of a of a performance center type uh, training facility, just doing this with these guys, and we have even to now we have a, a partnership type deal with Jacobs Pritchard Academy out of Knoxville.
0: Okay, so when you are training, and we're starting to get into the business, what did you find was the the biggest struggle for you? Clearly, you have a lot of the backing from other. Um, Promotions, and you have a lot of the um, equipment and uh, experience there to learn from that not everybody has the luxury of having. But what was something that you felt you struggled with at first?
1: Um, my ego. Okay. Um, I came from an MMA background, and I had already heard the the smart marker remarks about wrestling and i felt that even though i'm coming in fresh off the block nobody can legitimately whip my ass and i took that ego with me when i started wrestling and if i could do go back and do anything that would be the one thing i would change i would humble myself very very much so to where it doesn't cost me bookings in the in the first part of my career mm-hmm. i was a very very difficult person to deal with because if it sounded stupid and didn't sound believable to me, I would not do it.
0: Okay. And it's funny you say that because the first thing it it, it triggered my mind and memory of is hearing uh, someone along the likes of Mark Henry, who was, you know, world's strongest man, Olympics, and all that stuff, and uh, coming into WWE. And he would say, he, he references it still to this day in different episodes of podcasts and interviews about how he came in and for him it was almost like a shoot. You know, he had someone that you know felt like they could you know push him around, and he's going the hell with this. You know what I mean? Like I'm, you know, this amount of weight, I'm this size. You know, you're not going to push me around. um So, uh, like, at what point did that trigger that you know I have to really like humble myself? Um, like, was it an incident or something that happened that just kind of just like shook you to your core? You know, Mark Henry will say, and you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing it a little bit. Um. Uh, something along the lines that, you know, he was in a uh, a Royal Rumble match or some type of match. And, you know, I think it, I think it may have been JBL who like legit, like smacked him <laughs> and just kind of like woke him up like, yo, dude, you know what I mean? Like, you can't just go out there thinking that, you know, this is the real deal. So, I mean, was there a certain instance where it just kind of just one day just kind of changed?
1: There was. Um the instance for me was we were shooting TV out of Metropolis, Illinois, and Bert had me wrestle a guy by the name of the Colorado kid, Mike Rapata. And I went out there with – an, because Brian had told me some things about Mike that just – at the time, he didn't like Mike or something like that. And then so, of course, I only knew Brian, so I went off what Brian said. So I had this huge ego and didn't want to do anything. And I went out there, and the match not only was horrible – but Mike beat the crap out of me. Um, like legitimately tied me up, you know, where I couldn't move. It wasn't that he beat me up as far as punching me in the face a hundred times. It was, he would take my arm, he would do some type of submission move and then almost remove my arm from its socket. And, uh, it was like one of those, if I, it, the more I moved, the tighter it got.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I came to the back and Bert said, well, that was complete shit. <laughs> Now, do you want to go out there and actually listen to Mike this time and redo that, or do you just want to pack your gear up and get the hell out of the business now? And I went back out there and redid it with no ego, and Bert said it was probably the best match of the tapings at that time. So you were, um, so were given an that, ultimatum early. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man, Bert Prince gives me more ultimatums than anybody. but that's because that's because a guy like Burt really cares about his talent though he knows what it's going to take to get you over and with us only being in the business like for myself it's been 10 years there's nothing I can say in my 10 year business that's going to compete with what he's done in 54 years Mm -hmm. or the same thing with a guy like Lawler who's made millions and millions and millions of dollars at this you know I just need to shut the hell up and listen and that's what the problem with a lot of these guys is they think that when a a vet of these calibers is being mean that they're being mean out of spite. They're not. They're being mean because you're doing stupid stuff and you're just not wanting to listen. They try to be nice about it when they tell you the first time, and then you just kind of brush them off like they're old school and they, you know, they don't know how to get over. Well, the problem is they're still making more money than any of us. I don't care if you're Joey Ryan. I don't care if you're Joey Janela, if you're anybody like that. Guys like longer and them still get to wrestle every week and make more money than us because they still know how to work, they still know how to draw, and they still know how to get us over.
0: So what advice would you give somebody, other than being humble, for somebody that's trying to crack into the business, trying to make a name for themselves on the indie scene? What's the first thing that they really need to know before getting into those groups?
1: Believe none of what you hear and only a tenth of what you see. Okay. This whole business is a work. People only let you know what they want you to know when they know what the end result is, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so with that, believe nothing you hear of somebody saying, oh, so-and-so talked about you or so-and-so said this online or whatever. Or even if you see so-and-so do it, so-and-so probably was in with it with another so-and-so and they knew what was going on. And they want you to believe something else. Don't believe it.
0: Now, what I mean, obviously, you've had a 10-year career. You've had success. You've held championships. At At what point do you st- take a step back and say, you know, I want to be more, or are you content with where you're at right now? I'm not saying that you know being content is, you know, a bad thing or anything. Um, but do you want to do you want to do more? Or do you have other goals and aspirations?
1: Obviously. I mean, like, like any professional wrestler, I do have goals and aspirations. I do want to be signed one day, but I've also, I'm, I'm very realistic when it comes to my career. Um, my job right now is to get guys over. Um, I'm very versatile in the companies I work with to where I, I can run the back. I can wrestle. I can do production. I can do commentary. I can do whatever it takes to make the show go and make the company run. And my job right now, as established as I am in the area, is to make new stars. Um, there's a guy, and he'll probably text me and be all mad because i said it, but um, I'm sure you've heard the indie darling Blake Christian.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, Blake Christian is from 10 minutes away from my house. Um, Blake was working some small shows around uh, Tennessee – I had the chance to book a show in Savannah with the the Memphis wrestling guys, and I got the opportunity to book them. Um, Blake was with USA for a while until GCW picked him up, you know. Um, But giving guys a platform like that, or there's a guy that I'm wrestling now by the name of Kid Wrestling that everybody just kind of gave up all doubt on, you know. Like, this kid's not going to get over He's not going to be anything. And now he's one of the hottest stars we've got. You know, so I'm okay with my role of where I'm at in the business right now. I'm helping the business grow. And that's what it takes for guys like me. You know, um, there's always been those those jobbers or those those training types. Danny Cage, a lot of people don't know him as a wrestler, but they know him as a famous trainer and a guy that helps get people over.
0: Yep. Monster uh, Factory is, is right around the corner from us here.
1: Right. Uh, Motley Cruz is a guy from down here. Motley Cruz trained Marco Stunt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Marco Stunt is one of my, I love me for Marco. I mean, Marco's my boy. Uh, he's another one of those indie darlings that, you know, got to go on a road trip with us when he was first breaking in his career and we got to help teach him the ropes a little bit as far as once he got a little seasoned. Um, I'm perfectly happy with that portion of my job because I know that I'm making more smiles on people's faces through fandom, through the business, through just the guys in the locker room, you know, I'm not difficult. I try not to be difficult to work with. I'm not going to say I'm not because there are some things, again, if it sounds really stupid, I'm not going to do it. You know, um, I'm I'm cool with, like, the full entertainment aspects of Invisible Man versus Invisible Stan, but the social distancing match that just went on like that, I'm not going to do anything like that. But I will – I mean, I'll let, you know, as an intermission thing, I'll sit there and put on a referee shirt and act like two guys are wrestling, you know, during intermission, not taking up majority of my show in real time from other wrestlers.
0: Yeah, and taking fans' money to do something that's not really even
1: happening. (laughs) Right. Like, my question is, so when you do that, who gets the envelopes? Yeah, (laughs) I mean, do they just do they just float in the air or do they just sit at the building the whole time? I mean, the guy's got to get a payoff. They're out there bumping like crazy from the way the ref acts.
0: Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I mean, do you outside of what you do for yourself and the talent that you're mentoring and whatnot? What do you currently watch? Do you currently watch any of the other products? And how often do you watch any of that stuff?
1: Um, I'm a big fan of AEW right now, uh, mainly because of Marco. Uh, that's 90% of the reason I watch. I like supporting my brothers. Um, I do think the the writing they've had is awesome lately as far as building up stories. The Hangman, the drunken hate man thing is just funny as hell to me. Um, I do watch NXT, uh, even though I can't keep up the speed with those guys because, I, again, I like psychology and methodically working and stuff like that. But um, that, that's normally what I watch. Now, I watch a lot of independent stuff. Um, I like to watch GCW, of course, our USA Championship Wrestling, uh, CWA Wrestling out of Arkansas, Matt Riviere's group. Um, Anything with my manager, Lucky P, who w- seems to wind up on more TV shows than me. <laughs> um, May have to ask him uh, about uh, that. Man, I, I, I tell you, Lucky – Lucky is one of my best friends. He's a fantastic manager. Uh, there's a whole two-hour thing I could go in on Lucky. But, man, he really does. The man gets booked more than me. And I'm like, hey, man, take your client with you or something. You know, we can work out a deal.
0: <laughs> hey, everybody needs protection, you know? So,
1: Right. <laughs> like, I protect you and make money, and you just get me booked. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Now, is there anything that you watch currently on the current products, whether it be AEW, NXT, WWE, or any of the indie stuff that um, you would like to see changed or altered? Like, what is something that is bothering you? Not so much bother where you, you can't sleep, but what's something that you see that you would like to see changed?
1: Um, on WWE, man, what I would really like to see is the promos. I don't need a fifteen minute segment of promos. Mm-hmm. Go out there, give me three minutes of what you got to do. Get your point over. Get the get the segment over. Build the match. Get out of the ring. That's another twelve minutes you can use for other talent in the back that are sitting there doing absolutely nothing. Yeah, enjoy enjoying catering. <laughs> right, and, you know, and, and I've been I've been back there in catering. I know how, I know what goes on back there, but the guys don't want to be back there in catering. They want to be wrestling. And I don't blame them. You know, when you're filling up uh, – I think they had uh, – Randy Orton and Edge had like a 20-minute segment a couple weeks ago. There's no need for all that. Edge is pissed. Randy Orton's a dick. There you go.
0: And they're two Step veterans. promo
1: and get off. Right. They're already established. You don't need them. But you got guys in the back like Cedric Alexander who works his ass off. Mm-hmm. That gets zero TV time unless he's jobbing out. I think Big Swole even made a point about that on AEW or on Twitter or something like that. Um, You got guys in the back like, um, oh, who was the – I'm drawing a blank on their names, but they were two guys. They dressed like cops. They had like a fashion gimmick. Oh,
0: the fashion police. Uh, Yeah, Tyler Breeze. Tyler Breeze and
1: Fandango. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those guys. They're sitting in the back doing nothing. Yeah. Fandango was top of the world. I think WrestleMania 29, where he went over on Jericho, and then nothing.
0: Now, let me ask you. I mean, because you you see a lot of the the, the smarks on the internet who claim to know everything, and I guess that's you know just kind of part of the nature of being a wrestling fan. Uh, but what? Why do you think it is that companies like WWE will have somebody on top of the world, and then for whatever reason? they suddenly kill a push that they have politics.
1: That's an easy answer. Okay. Um, and, and what I, and I don't mean politics from the company. I mean, politics within the company. Uh, and I'm just going to give this as an example. I'm not saying this is what's going on. I don't need anybody to quote me and send it to the dirt sheets and all this other stuff, but you have a guy like Fan that was getting over and he was getting more of a pop than say Brock, you know, Brock Lesnar I mean I know Brock's a heel but still
0: mm-hmm.
1: or Seth Rollins we'll say Seth Rollins when he was a baby face Seth's like okay I'm your top guy I'm supposed to be doing all this and he's getting a bigger pop than me so Seth goes to the office hey man you know y'all are investing all this money into me instead of giving him this spot you're already investing money into me give me that spot well when that happens creative gets screwed up then what's going to happen well, now we got to redo creative. And as you redo creative, then stuff gets, starts getting lost in the shuffle. And that's what happens to a lot of these guys. It's politics on politics on politics.
0: And do you ever see that changing? Or is that something that's just kind of been the norm and it's always going to be the norm?
1: Man, it's always going to be the norm. As long as there's politics in America, It's going to be the norm. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's professional wrestling, uh even even do your own shoot job, man. Uh, I, I don't know what you do for a living, but there's people I work with that love to have my job. And we will sit here and start stuff just to have my job because I get to work a really easy shift where I don't get to see a lot of people. I work night times. And I get paid the most because it's a, a, a third shift that people normally don't want to work. There's people always trying to get you out of the spot you have. People do not want you happier than them, especially in wrestling, because they feel that they, for some ungodly reason, feel they deserve that spot that you're in without a quarter of the work that you put in.
0: And, and it's funny you say that because I was saying to someone a while back, I think I made a comment to somebody on Twitter, and they were saying how about people like a Jon Moxley was not happy with the situation in WWE, went to AEW. You know, Jericho felt that, you know, he wasn't being utilized right or, you know, like a, a, a Brody Lee now feeling he's not being utilized right. He's going to go somewhere. And I said, well, you know, there's only so many spots to go around to be, quote unquote, the man, not Becky Lynch. But, you know, the top guy or the guy that they're, they're investing a lot of time and storyline in. And I and I made the joke that, well, you know, why don't we just give everybody their own promotion and everybody could be the top guy in their own promotion. You know, at what point do you say, you know, like, is the ego of people, and I'm not saying that any of the guys that I mentioned had an ego because they have, you know, rightful gripes to why their character development or their storyline was not heading in a direction that they like. But at what point do people just kind of say, you know, this is this is what I am, this is what I accept, that I'm not, you know, the the world champion. You know, you mentioned someone like a, a Cedric Alexander, you know, like clearly, like, you know, like, you can't be the world champion, you know, and someone else can't be the world champion all the time. Like, like, where do you, what do you say for stuff like that?
1: Work harder. Okay. Obviously, I say that not to be a dick, but I say that because obviously there's something somebody sees in that champion right now that they don't see in you. And don't say that you can't become it because we've seen Eddie Guerrero, we've seen Daniel Bryan, we've seen heaven forbid I say his name, Chris Benoit. Um, all these smaller guys become big leaders of the company. So it's not that it's that you can't. It's that you're not putting in the type of work that's needed. And that doesn't mean in the gym. That doesn't mean um, – what I mean by that is, are you politicking well enough? Because, that's again, that's what this whole business boils down to. Are you politicking good enough? Because, man, I'll I'll say it right now. I had, even though I had Brian and all of them in my corner, nothing the first three years of my career. Once I started learning how to politic and talk my way into certain spots and talk my way into telling a promoter, you know, hey, you want me in your main event because I can do it so much better than this guy, then my career started getting a lot better. I started making a lot more money. That's a shitty thing to say, and it's a shitty thing to do, but... It's the name of the game, man. And I, and I think sometimes
0: uh, talent is hesitant to want to do that kind of stuff because, you know, you, you don't want to be labeled as a person that's going into business for yourself. But there are people out there that are shooting ideas out there that are trying to do things outside the box. And it's I feel like it's a thin line, too, because sometimes you might be giving, you know, your your, your company the idea to run with and say, you know, what you, you got something here or you could be doing something that is alienating yourself and the first thing that comes to mind is someone like a Matt Hardy with the the broken Matt Hardy character you know like clearly he wanted to keep doing this in WWE and they just you know had a different thought process on it but what advice would you give to somebody that's like you know I have a really good idea and I want to just start kind of just you know promoting my own thing doing my own YouTube videos even though I'm under contract with you know AEW or WWE or doing stuff somewhere else what, what makes those people not want to – or what advice would you give them that are leery about
1: you know, branching out too much, if that's even possible? Man, well, it, it is, and, and the advice I'm going to give is probably not good advice, but it's the only advice that's ever worked for me. It's ask for forgiveness, never permission. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if you go and you ask permission and then you go do it anyways, that gets people mad. If you act like you never even knew it from the beginning, then there's nothing anybody can say to you. Good advice. Like all, they can tell you, all they can tell you is don't do it again. And you're, you're right. I will never do it that way again. Mm-hmm. And then you alter it a little bit. Oh, well, you never said I couldn't do it this way. Now, if you don't alter it a lot and you keep doing it time and time again, yeah, you're going to piss the people off. But you know what? Eric Bischoff said it best. Controversy creates cash.
0: It does. It doesn't. And, and, you know, it's crazy that we were talking – you were mentioning some of the likes of Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. And I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day, and we got on the topic about people coming over from WCW to WWE at the time and how if you weren't a WWE guy that, you know, you got buried. And I said, you know, I don't – I didn't really see it that way. There was a lot of talent that was WCW that came over that ended up being world champions, you know uh jericho benoit booker t you know guerrero and he used an example he says you know well you had guys like vader who were a a monster in wcw and when they came over to wwe you know they were you know just kind of like jobbed out and i combated with that you know there was only so many spots to make a guy you know a world champion And I said, what kind of message would that send to the guys that are in WWE at the time that were loyal to WWE saying, hey, you know, you brought these guys over and you're making them champs. And here I was. I could have left and went over there. Um, What's your thought on, you know, people, I guess, uh, making a career for themselves somewhere else and then coming into a new promotion and getting that push or that rub that some others aren't getting and kind of the overall experience and feedback from that?
1: Well, I got, I got two different views on it. And I'm going to look at it from a wrestler standpoint and I'm going to look at it from a promoter standpoint. First one, from a wrestler standpoint. Yes, if I work my ass off and do it, deserve that spot. Yeah, I do. But at the same time, am I going to really fill that spot and am I going to make the money that this guy's going to make or am I just trying to be egotistical and look out for myself and not care what the true company has? Because at the end of the day, I can work for a company and be your main event but if that's the case and it only keeps you your main event for six months, then I'm out of a job after six months. If I go in and I do my damn role and I shut my mouth and I do what's asked of me and the way the company keeps growing, it goes for four five, six, seven years. And I have a job for four five, six, seven years. And you're, and from a promoter aspect of it. Yeah. Is this guy working his ass off for me? You're damn right. He is. And I promise you when your time, when I can give you your time, I'm going to. But right now, this guy's going to make all of us more money. Because this is what the crowd wants to see. This certain dream style type match. So I'm not saying you're not going to get your shot. Give me some time. Mm -hmm. And that was the whole thing with WCW and WWE. It's not that they weren't going to give them a shot, but why would you start putting over the people that you just beat? If you beat them with your own company, how are they going to come in and ideologically – psychologically beat your people. And I know this is all a fixed sport and everything like that, but you still have to use psychology. If I just took my star power and I beat them for so many weeks in a row, what makes you think that they're going to come in here and still be able to captivate my audience and draw me enough money? They're not.
0: Yeah. The example I used with him, he said uh when Benoit came over, you know, he didn't become champion right away. And I said, well, you have to remember is that unlike you or myself, who's just absorbed in wrestling, and we watch all forms of it. There was a line in the sand there where there were people that were WCW guys and there were people that were WWE guys. And I said, you gotta remember is that people are WWE guys. They may have heard of the name Chris Benoit. They may have heard of the name Eddie Guerrero. But if they weren't invested in that promotion or that product, they may not know much about that guy. So for that guy to come in and within two months wins the world championship. What does it do for the the story building of that character? I said, I felt like Benoit, you know, you had to have people invest in that journey and watch him grow. You know, you couldn't for him to come right in from WCW or Guerrero to come in right from WCW and win a championship. To me, that's you're building off their journey that they did in WCW. So he says, well, what about Vader? Vader, you know, got squashed. I said, well, Vader was in the main event picture from my understanding, for most of the time that he was in WWE, he's like, "Yeah, well, he didn't win it," and I'm like, "Yeah, but he was, he he played a crucial role." So, um, just what's your, your feedback on something like that?
1: Well, first, like you said, he was in a crucial role. His role was to be fed to Hogan, or fed to the WWE champion, and make them look good, make the company more money, and that's what that's what it just went back to when I said about the wrestling thing. You have to put your craft aside and realize, would you rather make two hundred and fifty dollars in a night, or would you rather make a hundred? Mm-hmm. I know what I'd rather have. That's exactly have how I answered it.
0: I said you could be world champion and making you know hundred dollars a night, or you could be you know doing what you need to do to help get guys over and making more money. You know, it com- It really comes down to is like everybody has their own financial situations, you know. But what 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 is more important to you? Being champion and saying that you're the top guy, or you know, knowing your role—not to quote the Rock, but knowing your role and uh, putting talent over and and making more money.
1: Exactly, you know, um, it just boils down to the guys, and I'll say this from an independent aspect because I see it a lot down here and down here in Tennessee, a lot. These guys want the belt because it makes them look more important. Not realizing that you being champion is doing no favors for the company. Once you stop drawing and once people stop paying to see you defend that belt, it's time to give it up. But you don't want to because you're not out here being a wrestler. You're playing wrestler. You're out here putting a belt around your waist so that you can go get some, you know, sleazy rat to go back to a hotel room with. You're a you're a belt mark you're not a wrestler mm-hmm. wrestlers are guys that do what's asked of them and make a company grow make the business grow and if you're not doing that get out there's a, go set up a ring in the backyard or something and invite your friends and family believe the professional wrestling to the professionals
0: And that goes back to the humbling aspect that you said from the beginning you know, you have to be at a level of humbleness to realize that, hey, you know, I may have to job. I may have to, you know, put guys over. But in the long term, I'm helping build talent, build a company that can be stable. And it, it's a gamble. You're hoping that later on down the line that you're rewarded for your your contributions to helping that, that promotion stay afloat. And it's not always a guarantee. But like I said, it's a gamble. But sometimes you have to sometimes put others before yourself to succeed, I think. But that's, that's my philosophy and thought process on it.
1: Right. And, I mean, it's just these guys don't get it, man. And yep. it took me a while to get it, but, I, like I said, I was fortunate enough that I, I had real professionals help guide me along the way.
0: Now, what is, uh, before we get out of here, I want to know, what is a dream match for you? What is something that you've always said? I would love to wrestle this guy, and you know, no talent is too big, too small. Could be, you know, current, retired, you know, past, alive. What's uh, your dream match in your head, and how would it play out?
1: I got to do it, actually. Okay. Already. Um, Which not and, many and people say to, they and, get and, to do. Right. But I, I got not only the dream match, but I got it in the dream scenario. It, the match wasn't didn't go how I wanted it to. But what it was was I got to wrestle Jerry the King Lawler at my old high school. And the reason that was a dream match for me is, that, again, that's what I grew up on, was Memphis going to these different high schools. And obviously, Jerry Lawler was the man. So you knew that if you ever became a wrestler, that's who you wanted to wrestle, was Jerry the King Lawler. And you wanted to do it on this Memphis scale, you know, in front of these Memphis crowds. Because the Memphis crowd is unlike any other crowd. New York, Florida, L.A., Chicago, Memphis is just totally different. And I got to wrestle Jerry Lawler at my high school on my favorite holiday ever, which is 420. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm an RVD fan, if that okay. gives y'all a hint. Okay. But – uh that I got to do it now. Sadly, the match didn't get to go as a full blown match like I wanted it to. Uh, Lawler just came off of having a stroke. Uh, this is where I can say it now because the reports came out. But the man had a stroke after oral pleasures, <laughs> 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 and he'll kill me if he hears that. But it made the headlines, Jack. <laughs> of it, just Jerry. Make sure so he
0: said it, it, not me. You know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it made the headlines. It was in the commercial appeal. Lawler, uh, well, somebody put it on Twitter, I think, I but it see was, that. uh, Lawler suffers, Lawler suffers stroke after sex. And then somebody put a thing. that was like, if yours is this fire DM me. And I was like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make that joke till the end of time. But, uh, that, that's what I got to do. Uh, I've also, my second dream match of that would have been to wrestle Lawler at the Omen arena, which I got to do that as well. Uh, I tagged with Christian James and our manager, Lucky P. Larson, Esquire, before he chews me out on that one, uh, against Jerry Lawler, the boogeyman, and their manager for the night was the mouth of the south, Jimmy Hart. Nice. That's um, a, that's, that's a talent that,
0: to be around, too.
1: But I, I'd say if, uh, for a match that hasn't happened, um, my dream match is the big show. Uh, he has a, a different style of working as a big man, unlike any other. Uh he's very versatile, he's very quick, he's light on his feet. That would be my dream match. Now of course I'd want that from like sixteen years ago when he was in his prime. You know, now I think mm-hmm. all he does is punch and chop and my chest can't take that too much. <laughs> well it's that <laughs> four
0: twenty holiday that you celebrate too that could, you know, play a factor
1: in that. <laughs> hey <laughs> yeah. there you go. But, um, yeah, man, that that would probably be my dream opponent.
0: Awesome. Now, where, if anybody who is listening to this and is like, you know, I'm really digging this guy, where can people find you at online? How can they continue to support you, especially during a time like this where, you know, a lot of indie talent is looking for exposure and looking for support from fans? Let everybody know where your online presence is.
1: The most awesome part about being Bam Bam Bundy is I am literally the only Bam Bam Bundy in the entire world. So if you put those three letters in your Google machine, you'll find me. That's on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. Um, I have my own Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com backslash Bam Bam Bundy. Um, When we started this whole thing, actually, I was going and delivering my T-shirts now. Um, I'll meet you somewhere if you're close to where I live in West Tennessee. With t-shirts, buy merch, whatever. I got like I sell everything off my Facebook pages. Um, that's it, man. That's pretty much all I do. All the social media. So as long as you type in Bam Bam Bundy, you'll find me.
0: Well, we appreciate you taking some time to talk to us today. I understand, you know, the circumstances. A lot of people are. Were in a lockdown so a lot of people have a lot of free time but you know not everybody wants to talk right now a lot of people like i said in the beginning of the show is that there's a lot of anxiety and uncertainty and we wish you all the best and success and the the stories that you told us and continue to go out and support him again as he says put it right there in the google machine bam bam bundy and uh, support him buy his t-shirts and hopefully once all this stuff dies down we can See you at shows again in the greater Memphis area and abroad. And uh, let's shoot a goal right now for L.A. next year for WrestleCon or I'm already booked. week.
1: I'm already booked. Okay. Uh, that, that was the cool thing. I don't know if WrestleCon put this out yet. But um, so the guy that booked me for it or whatever had the table. And if you didn't get a refund from WrestleCon, they just went ahead and bumped you over to next year. So I'm nice. already booked for WrestleCon next year. I'm already looking forward to it. I'll see all the great fans out there. I'll have T-shirts, pictures, and you never know, man. I might have to be able to catch up with you and get you a drink, man.
0: Definitely, and like I say, continue to be safe out there. Wash your hands and do all the other precautionary measures that they're uh, – the five things they're telling us to make sure that we do. And
1: uh, Yeah, adults, do the things that you should have already been doing, okay? Yeah, Exactly,
0: stuff you learned as a child, you know, and save some of that save some of that toilet paper at the window for the next guy
1: man i tell you i I had to literally fight somebody the other day i told them i said if you don't let go of this toilet paper i'm gonna bundy drive you and you won't like that and i don't think they were a wrestling fan because they gave me a really weird look but when i'm mad and big you're just gonna give it to me
0: (laughs) and that's and i think that's the best way to end the show if you try to (laughs) take the toilet paper you will get a bundy dropped and you don't want that you know yep Well, we appreciate it again, man, and uh, like I said, stay safe out there and uh, continue to keep us updated on events and things that are going on, and anytime you want to promote anything, anything that you want to let us know, you let us know here at MMP Radio, and we'll definitely bring you back on.
1: Hey, can I give you a sneak peek real quick? Sure. I'll give give you one exclusive, and nobody else knows this yet because we weren't able to get it out on the TV show. Jerry the King Lawler is coming up on his 50th anniversary. And USA Championship Wrestling in Jackson, Tennessee gets that one show. That nice. one memorial show. And from what I understand, King's bringing some guests with him. I don't know if that's from WWE. I don't know if it's from his past. I know they have announced that Kane will be there.
0: If it's Andy Kaufman, but, I'm definitely watching.
1: Well, Andy <laughs> Kaufman's dead, I think.
0: <laughs> no, he is. I'm being sarcastic.
1: <laughs> but, but Jim Carrey is not out of the question, oh. actually. Oh. Uh, that, I, I'll leave that with that Jim Carrey is not out of the question So Man on the Moon, Andy Kaufman could be possible But Lawler's 50th anniversary show Will be exclusive At USA Championship Wrestling June 6th, 2020 In Jackson, Tennessee And man, if you can get down here from New Jersey I'll hook you up with the tickets I'll get you a place to stay And we'll, we'll have a blast on that weekend
0: Sounds like a plan Hopefully everything is cleared over by then And uh, we look forward to uh, hanging out, man Definitely look forward to it. Most definitely. Most right, definitely. Brother.
1: Well, Mix Master B, I appreciate you letting me be on here on MMB Radio. Hey, brother, you have a great day.
0: You too, man. Be safe.
1: All right. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Mid-South Project, Bam Bam Buddy, and you are listening to MMB Radio with my boy Mix Master B.